0: You are listening to Investing Matters, brought to you in association with London Southeast. This is the show that provides informative,
1: educational, and entertaining content from the world of investing. We do not give advice, so please do your own research. Hello, and welcome to the Investing Matters podcast. My name is Peter Higgins. Today, I have the huge privilege and delight to be interviewing Sydney, Australia. Jessica Amir, market analyst with the multi-assets investment specialist Saxo Markets. Thank you ever so much Jessica for joining me. I know you've had a long day of work already and it's brilliant to be speaking to you um, from here in Leicestershire with you in uh, in Sydney. Thank you for coming on to the show.
0: Thanks for inviting us on. We've had a huge day. The Reserve Bank of Australia had a meeting and non-stop but it's a privilege to be uh, to be with you Peter.
1: Thank you ever so much. Now, Jessica, um, I want to have this conversation with you because I think it's very important that we speak to as many female thought leaders, analysts, psychologists, fund managers, etc. So I want to start with asking you about your first interest. What piqued your interest in the world of investing and investments, please?
0: Ah, uh, thank you. Great question. I think it was uh, when I was growing up i um I was more or less pushed into it by a family member. So um I started working for my dad, um basically straight out of school, and we were teaching people how to build a portfolio of investment properties. And my uncle was a financial advisor. He said, "Hey, Jess, why don't you consider expanding out?" The portfolio a little bit more and look at shares come and join me I'm an advisor and I was like okay I'm gonna try this out and then I um, I got my qualifications and then I joined um, AMP and, um, and then there I was and I quickly realized that there was a huge gap in the industry not only in Australia but also for women um, and then Thirdly, Peter, I also realised the stuff that I learned uh, was not taught at school. So basic things like how to save, you know, 10% of your salary should go towards long-term savings, little things like that. Um, and then later on in life, you know, I'm still teaching people things that should be taught at school. So it was really this um access to simple education that just needs to be made available to investors at an early age that kind of got me inspired to get in so here I am today about almost 15 years later
1: fantastic now you you, you just skimmed over a little bit there you qualified as a <gasps> financial planner now which is very important really that's a skill in that everyone needs to be these days regarding everything changing. So let's talk about that, because you, you become becoming a financial planner. AMP, which is uh, you know, a, a, a fantastic and a massive company, Commonwealth Bank, and then some, Suncorp as well. So let's talk about that a little bit. First of the financial planning side, getting the qualification and working for those very large organisations. What are your learnings from that?
0: Well, I'd say um, I probably learned the most when I worked for an offshoot of AMP. And uh, by offshoot, I mean they focused on looking after clients that are deemed ultra high net worth. And so um, they typically have more money than the average retail investor, say, uh, like myself, for example, let's say, um, and sometimes they require a little bit more complex strategies. So they typically have what we call in Australia self-managed super funds, um, or you're setting up company structures. And this was uh, before the days of uh, technology as well. So we we're literally setting up uh, trust deeds. We were opening shared trading accounts. We were literally picking up the phone and say, buy 200 BHP shares at this price and then hanging up the phone and then writing it in. And then it was all, it was all manual. So I'd say that was where I really cut my teeth. Um, starting at the bottom in client services, actually. Um, and then working my way to become a financial advisor over the years. But I also found myself in AMP's and um, Plan a pathway program where they essentially teach you how to be a financial advisor over 18 months. So they literally have you writing a statement of advice showing you, for legal and compliance purposes, what you need to look at when you're looking at someone's financial position, um, how to actually model scenarios, and then how to build um, essentially an asset allocation and then how you would implement it. So, did that. And then the other uh, half of the program was essentially advising people over the phone. So that was where I really kind of, yeah, cut my teeth. And then I wanted to grow and evolve. And I started my own radio show. And um, this is where I really wanted to help more people because it was more one-to-one. And I thought, there's got to be a better way to get out there to the masses. So that was when, uh, Peter, I started the radio show. And then a friend of mine was at um, Sky News. And uh, she said, Jess, why don't you come to our program? And I thought, okay. And they had a program called Your Money, Your Call Shares and Your Money, Your Call Property. So it was kind of like both of my skill sets, you know, property and shares. And then so I was financial advisor by day. And then at night, I was um, pretty much orchestrating TV bulletins and then I moved to become a reporter and um and then I married kind of like the best of both worlds and then um and then I was like uh I don't know I think I want to do this a little bit more sharpen sharpen the saw as they say and then I dived into being a full-time TV reporter specializing in financial reporting and um and then I was like, no, no, gotta gotta go back to gotta go back to sharpening the sword again. <laughs> and then I came back into the financial industry helping clients one to one. But also, I've got the privilege of speaking to people like you, speaking to people in media. So 30% of my job is helping clients. 30% of my job is in media. And then, of course, I've got to come up with stuff to say. Um, so the other 30%, uh, 40% is, um, is research. So that's more or less kind of um, mm-hmm. how I uh, got to where I am now. Brilliant. Now,
1: I'm going I'm to go back a bit because, once again, you've just missed a few bits which I'm like, We need to share this information. You're far far too humble, so I'm going to just throw you throw you under the bus here, Jessica. Right? Listen. So, ABC, Sky News, Seven Network, Nine Network. I probably missed out a few. Where you've interviewed prime ministers, including Tony Abbott, Julie Gillard, Kevin Rudd, several federal treasurers, and numerous ASX two thousand two hundred CEOs. So, with all of that. You've done absolutely phenomenally well, and you've still got a long way to go to to cover all the goals and ambitions. I know you sincerely have. So, can I ask you a couple of questions regarding those individuals you've interviewed? Okay, please can you share your views regarding the the great leadership qualities, recurring qualities you found from interviewing and speaking with those significant, high-profile leaders and CEOs? Please. Well, I'd
0: say in one word, Peter, I'd probably say it's messaging. Um, Political leaders, they've always got a message before they come to a presser, which is what we call it in TV or a press conference. And before they they get there, you know, we'll have a little bit of a chat and a little bit of a banter off camera. And then all of a sudden, everyone chucks their microphones in their face and then they go into their pitch. And um, they always are to a script they typically all have three messages. So they'll say what they want and then they'll reiterate in a different way and then they'll say it a third way. Um, And then it comes Q&A time and they'll typically relay the same answers in Q&A format as well. So I'd say um, that is kind of what really stood out to me There was not much deviation, and I think that really comes back to the media landscape uh, being awash with too much information, and I think that is is okay because the shorter, sharper messaging it is, it's easier for people to understand, big picture, what's going on in the economy, and then later on, I mean, we've typically seen some high profile uh, politicians in Australia step down or um, I guess they wouldn't maybe they wouldn't like to call call it that uh, some people have been asked to, to leave uh, by their party members in Australia but then they've kind of worked over to ASX top 200 companies and the same type of language skills need to carry out as well for investors to really understand and comprehend okay what what is the What is the investment opportunity here? So I'd say that messaging was really, you know, the standout for me. And I think for people like you and I and for people like investors listening, we also need to like often sift through the noise and then just get to the core messaging when some of our political leaders or when some uh, companies that we're looking at investing into aren't as sharp as uh, as some of those other people out there. So dive through the details, sift through the detail and get to what you think is going to drive the most value for that company or what is the key focus for the government or what are they really saying?
1: Brilliant, love that response. Thank you ever so much uh, for that reply, Jessica. Now in, in 2019, Jessica, you joined Bell Direct as their market analyst or one of their market analysts with responsibility for providing in-depth markets and stock selection analysis and identifying trading and investment opportunities now what I wanted to ask you because obviously that was just prior to and then throughout the lockdown period what difference in trading and investing behavior do you recall if any regarding the investing community because it was locked down was a bit frenzied activities what was the nuances that you noticed differently to what you would seen before when you were looking at the markets?
0: Yeah, that was a really interesting time because casting back to uh, 2019, um, and indeed when we were in lockdowns as well, we, the, the turn of phrase was uh, monetary policy easing. So the central banks around the world were cutting, 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 trying to stimulate, stimulate, stimulate. They were handing out checks putting deposits in people's banks and there was essentially a buildup of capital and what we noticed at, uh, at, the, at the trading firm that I was in is that we had not only at that trading firm but Australia-wide and also more broadly globally, there was a huge influx of capital to the market and it was typically um, made up of first-time investors in fact, the numbers suggested by investment trends were that most of the money that came to the market in the, in, in the pandemic era was actually from new investors. And then we saw uh, the meme stocks gain notoriety. And then we saw this huge influx of capital like we'd never seen before into uh, the, the penny dreadfuls. Um, and also into those stocks that had no recurring revenue, those stocks that essentially had no laurels. Um, not pointing out GameStop, but GameStop essentially a dying business. Um, no one typically goes out and borrows, I, I feel like an idiot for saying this, DVDs, but I mean, DVDs, <laughs> DVDs, I don't even know what GameStop sells, but you know, that front of store you know, um, leasing facility for games that uh, is a dying industry. We've seen with Netflix this huge pivot to online as an example. So we just saw a huge influx of people getting onto GameStop and then taking that and then extrapolating that out. This silliness uh, not only was in stocks that had no forward income and cash flow, expectations but they were also buying stocks because they had the same name so people on the ASX for example in Australia uh, saw a ticket code GME and little did they know that they were buying a little known mining company that just had the same ticket code as GameStop so this shows you this massive, this massive exuberance that was in markets and it shows you this just it was just berserk um, But I think it really comes back to, as an industry, I don't know, I kind of, I feel like um, we had a huge role to play. Maybe we didn't have enough education out there to help guide these investors. You know, how do you pick a stock? And then bringing it back to your question, it's really funny because uh, if you actually did a Google search for how to buy a share or how to pick a stock, the Google search for that hit an all-time high in the pandemic. So that was showing you that people were going to Google for tips and advice on how to buy a share. So that kind of like rounds rounds out, you know, that uh, that that era that I, I hopefully uh, hope that we that we never experience again on the back of um, uh, a once-in-a-lifetime virus.
1: Yeah. I hope so too. And, and, and you're right. The, the number of people that were opening the accounts was absolutely ph- phenomenal, you know, and they really did, had no education. It was just a case of I'm bored, everyone's talking about this, that, and the other. I'm jumping on the bandwagon. It was just incredible times. So yeah. Thank thank you for that recall there. Thank you. Much appreciated. Um, so in late 2021, Jessica, we're getting to where you are now. You joined Saxo Markets, um, which is a subsidiary of Copenhagen-based Saxo Bank. Please can you share with us a little overview of Saxo Markets, its role, services and function in the market, please.
0: So over in uh, Copenhagen, if you're Danish, that's how you pronounce it. Uh, in Copenhagen, that's uh, that's where our headquarters is. Um, and we're essentially an investment bank. So we have several different platforms depending on the type of investing or trading that you want to focus on. But essentially, uh, when Saxo came to the market some 30 years ago, we just aim to provide investors and traders access to all investment classes on, on one platform. So if people want to buy stocks, ETFs, if people have a view on a currency, let's say, if they think that the Federal Reserve will essentially take their foot off the gas and stop hiking rates in you know, in another two months, then if, uh, if that trader or investor thinks the US dollar would come down, they might essentially put a short on the US dollar. So people can trade currencies and then they can also uh, trade and invest in, in commodities. Let's say, for example, uh, at Saxo, we're pretty bullish. Uh, we're very bullish, I would say, on copper, on lithium, And aluminium, let's say if you're an investor or trader and you wanted to uh, invest or trade in some of those and then potentially buy them now because they were cheaper than they were two weeks ago, then you could potentially buy, say, a copper contract with us, or you could, of course, buy a copper stock, etc. And then, of course, uh, for the more sophisticated uh, investor or trader, there's options. And there's, um, there's all different types of uh, optionality that are available to essentially protect your portfolio through all market situations. So if you don't want to sell your Apple shares uh, or Tesla shares, which are a great example, and you're a little bit worried because the copper price and the aluminium price is going up, aluminium, you need 250 kilograms of aluminium for an electric vehicle. And we know the aluminium price is likely, or we think the aluminium price is likely to go up. So you're a little bit worried that Tesla's shares could wobble, but you don't want to sell your Tesla shares. That happens a lot with our clients. So they typically uh, put options on their Tesla stock um, to protect themselves if Tesla shares fall. And so that's an example of how people kind of use our platform. and the way that we work at Saxo is, uh, yeah, just going back to that core of what we do. So we're essentially a, a navigational light for markets. So we provide our view. We've got a, a team of some 30 strategists, and each of our strategists have got, um, I guess, a forte. So we've got a commodity strategist, we've got um, equity strategists, we've got a foreign exchange strategist, and so we're all here to help clients. So people can, you know, have a chat to us and one on one, and we can explore potential ideas and strategies. Um, and then, of course, we've got a team of of traders who also help people understand the instruments and stuff like that. So all in all, in a nutshell, we're just really trying to help people better understand what's available to them, and um, help them execute it but still of course it's general
1: advice brilliant thank thank you ever so much for that now you you, you hold an absolutely fantastic role at um, saxo markets jessica so i I just want you to just take the time as much as you like to explain that role as a market analyst what it entails you know the research side of it and why it's so interesting and and also ever evolving as you say today you know major news to the markets you've got to be on top of that you've got to then go front and centre to explain it to everybody else. So just share the nuances of your role to us, please.
0: Well, uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Every day is completely different to the next. Um, so so yeah. So it's ultimately about helping helping the masses, helping clients, and also uh, working as a team to share insights. And leverage off other insights that I might not be privy to. So we're always kind of working as one for all and all for one uh, to, serve, to serve the masses. So I'll give you an example. Today, coming into today, um, we, we provided, um, we sat down with our team early in the morning. And then we essentially shared our take on what we can expect for markets today and say for the next six to 12 months. And say, if a client was trading today, one of the, I guess, bumps in the road would be um, one of the central banks, the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, met and we discussed what the outcomes of their meeting could be. And then they essentially hiked, they're a little bit more aggressive than expected. And then we ran through some scenarios on, okay, If you've got clients out there, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, on the trading floor, um, if they're a foreign exchange trader, this is what we think the currency could do. We think the uh, Australian dollar could uh, could knee jerk rally up if the RBA is more hawkish, uh, or if they're more aggressive than the market expects, or if they're more dovish, as in a little bit more conservative. We think the the Australian dollar will continue to fall away because commodity prices have. Fallen away because the um, because the uh, US dollar has picked up. We know commodities uh, typically trade weaker when there's a higher US dollar. So because commodities for those that uh, might be new to investing, every single commodity except uh, one of the major commodities are traded in US dollars. So this means a high US dollar typically. To most companies, means it's a it, they're they're more reluctant to buy those commodities, and they might want to wait until the U.S. dollar comes down. Um, so the U.S. dollar rallied up about three percent from its. Uh, low and that means that uh, commodities typically look a little bit more on the nose or a little bit more expensive so we've seen commodity prices pull back and some commodity companies pull back so then that's an example Peter of something that we might typically speak to clients about as well we say hey uh, girls and guys this is something that I think we should alert clients to you know for example we've seen uh, we've seen the aluminium price. Um, uh, basically fall lower. We've seen the copper price uh, fall lower and the iron ore price fall lower. Um, We think that uh, these these stocks might be affected and we should let clients know. However, for investors, this could be a long-term opportunity. And then we say, maybe we could speak to clients about thinking about the long-term investors now because our view is that the US dollar will fall away And that's in line with the Federal Reserve likely uh, pausing on rate hikes and then cutting. Now that's what the market is pricing. So once that happens, the US dollar will fall away um, likely. And then that will typically cause commodities to go back into this super cycle that they're in. So that's something as an example of a kind of a morning meeting and then what we typically are providing in terms of a guiding light for investors on two potential strategy ideas um i i don't know how much longer you wanted <laughs> i could no, talk
1: forever funny. but no, i think it's beautiful that you ex- you explain all the different strategies and, this, and running the scenarios and giving people a synopsis of what potentially could happen regarding their, their um their different exposure to the market so i think it's it's really really good um, that you guys provide all that so, sort of service to, to clients so absolutely fantastic now you said earlier with regards to the saxo markets so they're very bullish at the moment on um, aluminium copper and lithium so you want to tell us some of the nuances of that and um, obviously the connections with the electric vehicles etc
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great question. I guess um, in one sentence, it it comes all back to two things. The green transformation. So there's a significant drive and a significant um, drive up in demand that we're likely to see. And secondly, there's restricted supply. And these two factors are causing prices to rise. And we are very bullish on copper, aluminium and lithium. Because of these large two schools of thought, and we think that this will probably continue and be probably a mega trend and super cycle that we think will probably be around for the next ten years. So, what are the numbers that we're that we're looking at? So, if you think about uh, the body that you may have heard of called the EIA, they're the International Energy Agency. They're made up of about thirty different countries around the world, you know, including other uh, UK, New Zealand, Australia, uh, the US and Denmark. And all of these countries have actually pledged to be emission free by 2035. And some of those countries have also, and this is the important bit, have also planned to ban the sale of fuel combustion engines by 2035. So that means if you're not selling electric vehicles in that country, then you're probably going to be making a cash flow and revenue loss if you're a car maker. So that really puts fire under the likes of VW, Ford, General Motors, BW. Um, so this goes back to that demand push. So We move now to the car makers themselves. So that kind of coincides with why Ford, VW, GM, BW um, are racing to produce EVs and phase out fuel combustion engines because they're not gonna make any money but that's also where demand is going, right? Um, And the other thing is that we know EVs are not only cheaper to run, Uh, So from a consumer-led angle, there's a huge generational shift uh, that we're likely to see demand pivot to that sector. And then, of course, in the last two months, even in fact, the last uh, several weeks, we've seen Tesla and Ford slash the price of their EVs. Further back out, we saw BMW and uh, Mercedes slash a price of their EVs. So there's lots of competition coming into the space now, meaning people like you and I um, are probably going to be more incentivized. Speaking about incentivized, the other pillar that's supporting growth is that we've got countries around the world, i.e. China, the US, and even, believe it or not, sleepy Australia for the first time has actually is actually giving people a small, tiny kickback for getting an EV. We're still not there yet um, in terms of uh, encouraging people to get EVs, uh, but nevertheless, you get the picture. There's this global push to move to EVs. And then thinking about that undersupply, why on earth would there be undersupply? I hear people say to me all the time at investor events that I do for, say, the ASX or Women in ETFs, Uh, which is a global organization. They say, well, what do you mean there's a lack of supply? How can there be lack of supply? You can just dig it out of the ground. Well, well, no, you cannot because the major uh, lending banks around the world are likely to um, not lend as much as they could um, five years ago or 10 years ago because of their ethical or environmental sustainable government's mandates on lending. So this is also causing the lack of supply. And then the other thing that's causing a lack of supply is of course, weather issues. I'll give you an example. Um, in Australia, we had some flooding late last year and that caused uh, coal suppliers or coal producers to, um, to drop their expectations for how much they could produce. We also had some iron ore companies and lithium companies, um, say in Argentina, also be hit by uh, environmental factors as well. All of this, putting it all together, mix it up, and you've basically essentially got the same issues now that'll likely be around for the next 10 years because of the environmental sustainable uh, mandates, but also uh, supply is quite inelastic. It takes a very long time to get a mine into place to get a mining license and to get it approved. Um, So all these factors are going to underpin higher prices for the long term. One final example if I may Peter, Rio Tinto a really good example one of the world's biggest miners globally uh, diversified miners that is besides BHP. We all know that they had a lithium mine license in Serbia. They were planning to be the biggest. Uh, producer of lithium in Europe they had the mine license and then protests actually occurred in Serbia and um, I guess essentially um, they were not able to start that mine so this is an example of even though a company has a mining license environmental issues pop up even though they got the funding they couldn't actually get the mine underway and here in goes back to this huge issue we've got EIA we've got governments pushing EVs we've got consumers wanting EVs but there's a lack of supply and this is uh, an issue um, for EV makers who are paying these higher prices but it's a, a good thing for companies who are in this space so we're bullish on copper companies aluminium and lithium miners.
1: Thank you for that response. I think it's interesting that the, the, the IEA are trying to just push and coerce so many people towards electric vehicles, but yet there is this counter party sort of risk where everyone's going down that route, but the expense and support isn't actually there to fund them to go down that route. So it's quite a, you know, a difficult sort of balancing act, isn't it?
0: Uh, you're so true. Absolutely. Um, and I think that that is a huge issue. I mean, we don't really see that in Europe uh, because their taxes are so high, about in the order of 66%, say in Denmark, for example, where our, um, that's the top tier tax bracket, by the way. Um, but uh, there you've got phenomenal infrastructure Compare it to Australia. Um, uh, our major exports, uh, one of them is, um, is coal a fossil fuel, and it kind of shows you that there's kind of a little bit of. Um, I have to be careful how I say this. There's a little bit of maybe uh, corruption um, holding back some governments. I mean, I'm proud to be an Australian, and I'm proud to say that um, Australia is is uh, is able to to uh, to grow GDP. Um, however, the makeup of our income. Um, is largely holding the government back on pushing to be a leader in the EIA. So I agree.
1: Thank you for that. Now, it, what was, you've touched on the commodities there, and the one that you didn't speak, speak about much was gold. And there's a massive, massive influx last year. Oh, sorry, reverse that, not, re, not influx, but increased exposure to gold from central banks because of all the geopolitical um, things that were going on. The largest amount of gold hoarded by central banks since 1967 um, last year. Um, was there any other drivers other than geopolitical going on here? Or were they just trying to say, look, we don't want to be purely exposed to um, US dollars?
0: I love this question. Um, so I'll answer it by saying this. So at Saxo, we're very bullish on gold as well. And so we actually have an outrageous, <clears throat> pardon me, we actually have an outrageous prediction says gold could hit $3,000 this year and so gold is under $2,000 US today. How could it possibly get there? Um, And the scenario that you've laid out, you add another layer on that um, and we've not only seen central banks increase their positions to gold but also this year we've seen sophisticated investors and retail investors also increase their positions to gold and we have to look back at history to see that our outrageous prediction of gold hitting $3,000 might potentially come true and I'll play it out in this scenario. So every time the Federal Reserve has paused rate hikes and eventually cut the gold price has strongly rallied. So the gold price has strongly rallied throughout history every time the Federal Reserve has paused rate hikes and then paused. And the gain that we've seen in gold to the upside to a new high is more than equities. So if we think about when the Federal Reserve, um, one of your first questions was 2019, what a year, how did people invest? Well, let's think about this. How will people probably invest when the Federal Reserve's when the Federal Reserve pauses rate hikes and then maybe cuts, well, I say to you, it probably might be in gold. And so in 2019, when the Federal Reserve paused and then started cutting rates, um, equities, we know, strongly rallied, but as did gold. Gold rallied up 61% to a new high, 61%. And then we think about the S&P 500 and the ASX 200, they – they rallied about in the order of uh, 40 to 50% uh, to respective new highs. So that's a scenario that we think uh, could possibly pa- play out. And the factors that you need to look at for this scenario to play out would be the rolling over of the US dollar. Because we know bonds and a US dollar um, have like an inverse relationship to gold. So we saw gold charging up when bond yields fell and when the US dollar fell. And now um, the the next catalyst will be watching the US dollar, uh, Peter, and watching bond yields because I I probably uh, would urge people to just keep an eye on those factors because you'll probably see the gold price start to rally up again. And that might be something for you to think about if you're investing or trading in ETFs. Uh, gold uh, companies are typically likely to outperform, but as bullion is as well.
1: Thank you ever so much for that, uh, Jessica. I wanted to touch on something you you said earlier, which I think is really, really important here regarding the educational side of it, because obviously these interviews that I'm doing for um the Investing Matters series are all about education, education, education. And you touched on the women in ETFs Forum or whatever it is that you do, can you just tell us a bit about that and, and your role in it and why it's so important to get women involved in investing, please?
0: Love it. Well, there's a huge gap in um, in in women's uh, in women's financial futures compared to uh, their counterparts, not only with their savings and their investing, but their self-managed super funds, and I think all of that comes back to education. So for women, they feel it's a daunting task. Uh, They feel that, you know, quite often they'll park it in the too hard. uh, I'm not going to learn that. I don't understand it. Uh, So they'll park it subconsciously in a basket that they don't want to learn. But easily, uh, I mean, sorry, I should say, but when we pair it back, if we just think about investing like we were buying a a stake in a business, if you looked at a florist and we know that they're selling flowers at a rate of knots, then that possibly could be an easy way to approach investing. So women in ETFs is basically um, a pool of women in the industry from all different bodies, uh, from all different ETF providers around the globe, other financial institutions, and we get together and we come up with ways that we can uh, educate the public and just make it really easy for women to get involved in bettering themselves in financial education and also taking action. So that's that's what we do.
1: I think that's a fantastic and brilliant initiative. Uh, thank you for sharing. I hadn't heard of it. So really, really, I'll have to check it out. Thank you. Now, I want to switch things up a little bit here, Jessica, and ask you about your own investing matters strategies what really matters to you regarding your investing Uh, can talk a little bit about your portfolio as well so um how do you go about filtering your own stocks for your own portfolio you've got you've got access to all these fantastic researchers and analysts within the Saxo team and then you go right okay done all my research I'm going to buy this this and this and put it in to share some of that some nuances about Jessica Amir's portfolio please
0: So last year uh, we had a view that commodities would outperform um, and we also think that'll be the case this year given uh, material earnings are probably likely to be 60 percent higher than they were last year. So coming into 2022 I had an overweight position in commodities for that reason And so I also thought about what commodities did I want to be exposed to. So I was exposed to uh, lithium and I was also exposed to coal. And um, the reason that I was in coal was because I know that coal demand usually peaks at the end of the year um, when China is facing peak demand. So the air is typically filled with thick smog in China, and that's because they're essentially burning coal to produce energy so that they can keep people warm and toasty. Uh, because uh, as uh, as unfortunately, as unlucky as it is, because of environmental issues, our winters are getting much colder and our summers are getting much hotter. And with this thinking, given that we've got perpetually lack or a lack of supply, I went very heavy into coal, not uh, for, it's really against my ethical thoughts, but I was purely chasing uh, returns. Um, And so I'd say that they were my my big overweights. I also did have some FX exposure as well. Um, And in terms of... uh, portfolio reviewing I typically review my portfolio on a quarterly basis um sometimes it can be hard when you're helping clients you kind of are like a plumber and forget to do your own plumbing um because I that's that's actually what happens (laughs) so so yeah but um in terms of my strategy it's um it's thinking about the sectors that I think will likely uh, benefit from the macroeconomic climate. So are central banks cutting rates um, or are they increasing rates? What's happening on the supply side? What's happening globally? Who's opening their economy? Who's closing? And then I also think about um, you know, having one up on Wall Street, as Peter Lynch said, can you actually see what's going on around you? So do I see more people or less people buying Starbucks coffee? Bet your bottom dollar I do. Um, as a, you know, that's as an example. Um, so really becoming observational really helps. And that's what kind of got me onto the EV bandwagon early on when I started to see this huge push And I started to see more EVs on the streets and I'd never seen before. Um, Because as we were saying in Australia, infrastructure is perhaps not as limited or perhaps uh, very much limited compared to what it is in the UK and uh, Denmark and so on and so forth. So when we see an EV popping up, it was like, oh my gosh. And so then you've got to think, well, there's an EV. What are the key components of an EV? So it's just kind of like playing brainstorming in your, own, in your own mind and thinking how that could potentially play out in investments. And the other thing is um, I always bring it back to basics. So we know cash flow and earnings growth drives share price growth. And when central banks are hiking interest rates, we have to be in favour of those companies that are likely to do well. So that's why I also invested uh, only in commodities in 2022, because they were the ones with the strongest cash flow, free cash flow growth, and earnings growth. And then we saw that with, you know, with Whitehaven Coal, 300, not only 333 uh, percent profit growth, but their earnings growth was 1,500 percent. And that was some of the highest earnings that we've seen across the mega caps around the globe. But it just goes back to basics: earnings growth drives share price growth. Think about that with your portfolio.
1: Now, with regards to um, your holdings, Jessica, you've talked about how you go about finding them, selecting them, and 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 reviewing them over the period of these. I think said quarterly um, regarding the, the stocks you hold. What was the last time you did a review? And a holding, and you looked at it and went, it's time to move on now, and you X that one, exited, and what led to that decision of you moving on and closing that particular holding in your portfolio?
0: Really good question. Okay, um, so the last time I reviewed my portfolio was coming into 2023, and I sold out of coal. And uh, the reason that I sold out of coal was because, Uh, I knew that China wanted to come out of lockdown and that they didn't have enough electricity to keep the lights on. So last year, China ran out of power and the energy crisis was all over newspapers. And China didn't want to have blackouts again because that caused their hospitals to, you know, turn the lights off and uh, factories as well. So then China uh, decided to pump up coal production. And so that essentially spooked the market and I was thinking ahead and well, that's probably going to spook the market. So we put out a tweet. I put out a tweet and then we started uh, filtering that through to clients. And then I, yeah, I also, um, not in that order, but I also uh, was getting ready to trim my position and then I exited, uh, my coal positions because I was thinking the coal price would pull back. It did. And then it's fallen 65, sorry, pardon me. I said that with dyslexia, it's fallen 36% this year. So that's an example of how thinking ahead um, can kind of help you protect your portfolio and lock in profits as well.
1: Brilliant. now, Jessica, you've been in the in the markets. You've 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 um, qualified as a financial planner. You've been through different exams. You've worked all over the place, but and you're looking to actually help so many different people, including you know female investors as well. Um, if there was one investing book, Jessica, that you could re- recommend, which book would it be, and why?
0: Peter Lynch, One Up on Wall Street. So why? Uh, Because I think some of my best positions, when I look back and I track my investments on a spreadsheet, whether I was trading or investing, I think about the best strategies that I executed and the best returns that I got, and they were from investing, not trading. And the only way that you can get ahead of the market is if you invest typically in a company for a longer term over a longer duration and that is only by being aware of things that are going on around you and Peter Lynch in his book says you can have one up on Wall Street if you're observational and that was kind of how we got onto the talk about you know EVs seeing more EVs pop up in Australia Um, but there still is time I guess for those that are thinking about uh, lithium as well.
1: Brilliant, thank you. I love that reply. Uh, Now, I'm sure you've seen these different bits of research around, uh, Jessica. Um, Various studies, and it's been proven as well from these various studies, that women are, in fact, better investors than men, because they let the power of time and compounding generate better returns. What guidance would you give to any newer investor looking to invest long term or on a generational basis?
0: Great question. I'd have to say, just make it really easy on yourself. Think about a company that you like, that will probably be around and continue to innovate and grow over the next 5, 10, 15 years. Think about that. how that company is being led. What is it saying now and how is it positioning for the future? For example, Fortescue Metals, as an example, they're one of Australia's or one of the world's biggest pure iron ore companies. As an example, they're only making money from iron ore now, but in the future, they want to be the world's biggest producer of hydrogen. So that could be something to perhaps consider, maybe not what a company is producing today, but what they want to pivot to and look at the company leadership. What are they saying? What are they focused on? How are they investing their money in R&D? Those are all the things that you might like to think about before you make a long term investment for the future.
1: I love that response. Absolutely fantastic response. I think what you touched on there really triggers me because we're so focused. I think so many investors are so focused on the now and they don't look ahead at what's going on. And some things are thematic and yeah. some things are trendy. And people go, well, that's a new trend. to jump on it. But it's, it's not about the trend in sense. It's where the investments are going, where the r and is being spent. I think that's the essential nuance that investors need to pick up on. So thank you for that reply. Now, I've got two more questions for you, uh, Jessica. I'm conscious that we've had you here for a long time you've had a full day at work. Now, as a market analyst, hours on occasions can be very long. How do you maintain your physical and psychological well-being? Are you a runner, a cyclist? a frequent visitor to the gym. What's your secret to to (laughs) a balanced life, you know, and living your best life?
0: Oh, it's so important, isn't it? Um, In order to have a sane mind, you need to have, I guess, a a functional body. So for me, I think it's really hard sometimes when we're investing and trading and when we're looking at markets all the time, sometimes it can be hard to switch off so you need to have an outlet where you're just literally sweating the house down for me I'm um, I believe it or not I am actually a weight and I'm aiming to compete in the lights went off and a natural bodybuilding uh, competition so that's something that I work on I also am a part of a running group and a swimming group so After hours, not really after hours, because the lights are off, uh, but on weekends, uh, that's typically what you're finally doing. Brilliant. How
1: long have you been weightlifting and bodybuilding naturally? How how long have you been doing
0: that? Yes, naturally. Um, I've been doing it uh, on and off for about five years. However, this year in October, it will be my first competition. So, I think it's really important to have that you know mental clarity and sometimes having you know that that break in the week it can um it can just really help and it just really helps reset you know when you're pushing yourself physically and you're achieving something outside of work it really helps you stay focused and keeps your concentration high during the day but um yeah whatever it, whatever it is for you at home or whatever it is for you at Peter I don't know if you're into training but yeah i i absolutely love it so important for balance
1: brilliant now myself and all the investing matters listeners globally will wish you very well with that competition in october so uh, that'll be absolutely brilliant if you we'll be cheering you on jessica okay Thank i've got you. one final yeah i've got one final question for you jessica i'm going to give you some powers now okay i love giving this uh, question out to people um i'm going to bestow upon you. Um, as you are our very first Australian-based guest, right? So we're absolutely honoured to have to have you. I'm going, to, <laughs> I'm going to grant you the powers, Jessica, to, to Im- change and improve the quality of every Australian life and individual on this planet. What would you change and why? That's
0: a very hard question. I'd say the educational system. So if we don't educate, there is no systemic change and the future generations won't learn. And I think, you know, I mean, I I could say, you know, I'm going to give everyone $500,000 or a million dollars, but they won't necessarily know how to invest that or invest that to help themselves or to help the community but I think starting with the education is really where we can drive change so it's up to the school syllabus it's up to the educational system to really change and start nurturing younger generations teaching them about financial literacy teaching them how to invest what is a company why should you invest how do you invest How do you round up your transactions on a daily basis when you go to pay for a coffee with your phone so that you can invest? Little tips and strategies. uh, But ultimately, I think the best thing that we can do as a society is educate the young ones.
1: Fantastic response. Fantastic reply. I will grant you your (laughs) wish. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, Jessica, that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you ever so much for being on the Investing Matters podcast thank you ever so much for being our first australian guest um, based down in sydney and i will look forward to c- continuing to follow you across social media and i look forward to when this is published for it to be supported by you and all your followers um, that was jessica amir market analyst at um, saxo markets thank you ever so much jessica get some rest and thank you ever so much for staying up for us um, today God bless you.
0: Thank you so much, Peter, and bless you. Thank you so much. It's it's been a privilege and an honour, and everyone here in Australia uh, absolutely loves your work and looking forward to seeing your channel thrive and grow.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Take care. God bless.
0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to Investing Matters. Be sure to check out the London South East website for free tools and info to research your next investment. You can also join in the conversation on our social media channels and don't forget
1: to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more content, including our CEO interviews. Catch you next time.